lips and speak through them, take our minds and think through them, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. I wonder if you saw the picture the other week of a mother duck swimming in a lake in Minnesota, head in the air, racing along and being followed by 70-plus ducklings swimming in her wake. In the duck world, apparently, it is quite common for ducklings to be raised by females who are not their own mothers, but perhaps by a grandmother or an aunt. As a consequence, you might see 20 or even 30 ducklings trailing a member of their extended family, but rarely ever 70 at a time. When I first saw that image myself, I was struck by a couple of things. First, how I seem to have gotten off rather lightly in the shakedown of the natural world's order of things. The mental image of me being trailed not only by my own beautiful children, but the children of all of my brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters-in-law has kept me up at night ever since. Perhaps that's why the mother duck in the picture is swimming so fast. The other thing that struck me about the image of the multitude of ducklings is how it speaks in a strange sort of way to what we've just heard read from the Gospel of John. Here's how the passage began. On the next day, when the people who remained after the feeding of the 5,000 saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got themselves into boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. I wonder, has that ever struck you as being at least a bit much, even if not a bit odd? Here are all these people, potentially hundreds to thousands of them, not only having witnessed the miracle, but being direct beneficiaries of it, yet they're not content that they have had their fill. Instead, in a miracle all of its own, somehow this mass gathering finds enough seaworthy vessels to cross the Galilee in search of the man who had to get into a boat himself just to get away from them all. Telling Part of the story follows shortly thereafter when John writes, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? To which Jesus offers a rather wily reply. You are looking for me because you ate your fill. And we almost want him to go on. And now you want more. It's tough. To live in a world that always wants more, isn't it? Tough for Jesus, tough for us. Every once in a while, I tell my wife that part of me has always wanted to be a monk. And whilst that has not, there has not been a time when that conversation with her has ended well, <laughs> the kernel of truth that I've tried to communicate in those moments is that part of me just yearns for less, for a simpler life. I fully accept that a large part of that desire is born out of my own ceaselessness at various stages of my life to achieve and attain 
And I imagine you might have your own accumulation stories to tell, even if you only shared the most telling stories with yourself, for we all have them. As I imagine you already know from experience, the trouble with all of this wanting to have our fill with whatever we think it is that should be filling us up is that we tend to end up not with satisfaction, but with something more like indigestion. As any parent knows who's attempted and failed to get their children to eat healthy food before dinner, when we fill ourselves with something other than what our body truly needs, unseemly things can happen. And when we get to imagining not only what our bodies may need, but our souls, coming to know the true nature of our hunger is fundamental. Lest we fill ourselves with food that is not, in the end, food at all. The struggle then for you and I as we think about food for our souls is how to live a life as a faithful community of Christ followers and avoid eating religion, having mistaken it for Jesus. Next Sunday, All Saints will begin a new chapter as we welcome a new associate rector into our life together, part of whose work will be to help us make connections and grow in relationship with the people around us who are not as yet part of this faith community. The paradigm shift that this appointment represents for us, as it has done for many Episcopal and other churches, is the recognition that we increasingly live in a time when people will no longer come to find us. Instead, we are going to have to go out and find them. This shift has been described as the movement from being an attractional kind of church, one where we do our very best to be our very best and open our doors in the hope that they will come, to a more missional kind of church that seeks to expand our movement solely from the world to the church and see the church, its people, also move out into the world. Of course, all of this has been raising many a faithful Episcopalian's blood pressure these past several months. It was one thing to sing Christmas carols and to offer ashes to go at the martyr station or to lead an ambulatory stations of the cross around Midtown, each as one-off occurrences. It has been quite another prospect to imagine this sort of thing happening on a regular basis. After all, what is this new priest at all saints going to be doing with his time? Will people know that he is one of us when he leads a sing-along through the 1982 hymnal at the corner of Ponce and Peachtree? Will we have to bail him out of jail when the fox theater calls the cops because he's admonishing its customers as they wait to see the Book of Mormon? And please, God... Don't say that it will be our neighbors on our street with whom we'll have to pretend we have never seen that pastor before when he comes by on a Tuesday night giving out his Buddy Jesus keychains that say, find salvation with the saints in Midtown. It's all going to be very embarrassing, isn't it? Or not. Because I wonder if something beautiful 
is about to happen in our midst, not because of this new priest heading our way, but because of you and me and everyone whom we have yet to meet, whom God has already nudged to cross our paths in grace-filled and surprising ways. I wonder if this might be your story, not of hymns sung or tracts delivered or people persuaded to think and believe and be like us, but a story that we have been telling on and off this block for a century and more, of lives deeply listened to and the belovedness of all God's people more fully seen And the hopes and hurts of ordinary folks just like you and me met and welcomed and embraced. Jesus won't feed us if we think we are the ones to serve him up. The divine mystery is not a fixed price meal and none of us gets to peddle the incarnate word. Yet we will know more of the one who is the beginning and the end of everything when we come to know our hunger, that deeper longing for deeper truth and life and love. Why would we want to meet the people around us where they are to be met? Because you and I have known a similar such sensation in ourselves that their hungry souls might feel. You and I have known at least just once in word and song and prayer and in the care we have for one another in this church of what it is like to know deep call to deep. And should we have the courage to share what our hunger for this, for the life of grace upon grace, looks and feels and lives like, then there is a chance that others might come to see who and whose they truly are. Our true hunger is not for filling up. It is for wonder. Wonder for the things of the God moving in your life too. It's a free gift, one we are called somehow to share. And you don't have to wait till next Sunday's new arrival to share it. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry.